but that's sort of what it was born out of is like how to get our crew back to work, how to, how to do something creative and how to, how to try to tell a story given the restrictions of COVID. Um, can we just tell a story? Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. Today's episode takes us behind the scenes of director Sam Levinson's new drama, Malcolm and Marie. The film takes place as Malcolm returns home with his girlfriend Marie following a celebratory movie premiere. But their evening takes a turn as revelations about their relationships begin to surface, testing the strength of their love. In addition to Malcolm and Marie, Mr. Levinson's directorial credits include the feature films Assassination Nation and Another Happy Day, and episodes of the series Euphoria. Mr. Levinson spoke with director Derek C. in France about filming Malcolm and Marie in front of a virtual audience. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation. All right, I guess this is my cue. Hey, I'm Derek C. in France. Uh, I'm here with Sam Levinson to talk about his new movie, Malcolm and Marie. How you doing? Good. Thank you so much for, uh, for, for doing this. I'm so excited to talk to you. Dude, it's my, it's, uh, it's, it's my honor. Uh, Sam and I have just met each other, um, but uh, I've, uh, we've been aware of each other's work. Um, I think the film that you made is so uh, brave and uh, really like a, a pioneering film. Uh, you were the, the first person really, I think, to figure out how to shoot in the pandemic. But I don't, and I think a lot's been talked about that, but I want to ask you to start specifically on how does it feel to release a movie in this, in this pandemic? Um, good. I mean, look, I think like it's, uh, I mean, I'm so grateful to Netflix to have the ability to, to go shoot a movie with 22 people uh, in the middle of June during lockdown and somehow find a way to, to get it done and, and to a distributor that can, that can reach like 200 million people. It's just, it's mind blowing. Um, and, uh, so I, I just, I can't get over, I can't get over that fact. Um, you know, uh, and, um, you, you know, but releasing any movies always like a strangely sort of nerve wracking and kind of, I don't know. I have, I always go through like a weird postpartum thing. Do you have that at all? Of course, man. Of yeah. course. I mean, I spend the next, I finished up my last thing over the summer. It was showing on HBO as I was still editing it. And when it was done, it was like, you know, the culmination of two years of straight work, you know, seven days a week, dreaming about it to just being done and being out there in the world. And then there's this moment of, well, what, what is my purpose in life? And then, (laughs) and then, and then finding, uh, and then searching for purpose and not, and, and you can't always find your purpose (laughs) right away. It's like fishing. You don't know when you're going to get the fish and you got to keep your pole out there to find the muse. But I thought your movie was a lot about the muse too. So anyway, but yeah, is, is that how you're feeling? Are you feeling without purpose or your purpose is to market it right now? Yeah. Well, which is like way harder and not what I'm like built for, you know, it's just, I, because it's also funny. Like, I feel like a lot of the times you're talking about the film with your, your crew and your producers and your, you know, your kind of collaborators, but you're always inside of it. So it's always, 
there's like that moment where suddenly you now have to step outside and kind of look at it from an objective kind of lens, which is always, always an odd kind of experience in, in that regard. And then have to sort of explain it or sort of spell, like I never think about log lines really, or those things or I, you know, it's also, I write from like kind of an emotional standpoint. So I'm never thinking about it from like a, well, what's the theme of this thing or that, you know? And so then suddenly I kind of have to take a step back and, and analyze it in a new way uh, during those things, which is always interesting. Yeah. You know what I've always found is like the testing period of, or screenings, whatever you want to say, where you screen your films for your friends and family and sometimes for audiences is a great learning curve to learn how to talk about your film. Usually when right. I would enter those and try to get up to talk to people about my films, it's just mush. I mean, I'm too close to it. I have no idea. And, and in that time, you kind of start formulating your stand-up routine. Right, exactly. No, that's 100% what it is. You go like, it's, you'll say something and then you'll be like, oh, that's what it is. But it's always like you're saying like 10, 10 things, 12 different things. Then you kind of go, oh, maybe that's what describes it best. Yes. It's such a weird, un, like, I don't know, unknowable process in some way that, uh, I don't know, it's always a fascinating thing. And then there's just, it goes out into the world and then you're kind of going, you know, it's that, it is that what now sort of feeling of, okay, who, who am I? Mm -hmm. No. Yeah, this, this, the, the secret's out. There's no more mystery. Here it is. It's going to be judged. It's going to be seen or not seen. And now, right. now you got to go back to square one, but you have a lot going on, right? Um, well, we are, we're, yeah, we're starting season two of Euphoria again, a year after we were essentially shut down from it, which is, was kind of the impetus to actually go make this film in the first place is we've been prepping uh, a full season of Euphoria for probably six or six months at least. And I was writing for probably about a year and, uh, and all through prep. And then on the, on the Friday before we were supposed to start shooting is when we were shut down um, uh, because of the pandemic. And so, you know, we, uh, you know, immediately I'm like just eager to work, but at the same time, I'm completely relieved because I was terrified to, to go into the world with a crew um, that felt, you know, uh, and, and shoot this big sort of scrolling, you know, show with all the locations and things. So that was sort of the, and it's, and you know, that feeling when it's like you, you've got something that's going and no one ever believes that anything's going to go. So you're calling like your DP, you're calling your production and be like, no, no, this, this show's going to go. We're going to start shooting HBO is set the date. And then suddenly, you know, people don't take a job because they know that, you know, this is coming up. And I just, I had this feeling of like, like, how long is this going to last? How, like, you know, what is my crew doing? you know, it's Zendaya would call me and say, what's, you know, like, what's going, what do you, how long do you think we're gonna be shut down for? And I'm a bit apocalyptic at times. So I was like, um, I think for a while, you know, uh, but that's sort of what it was born out of is like, how to get our crew back to work, how to, how to do something creative and how to, how to try to tell a story given the restrictions of COVID. Um, can we just tell a story? can we make a movie in this period of time that doesn't, that still has a certain degree of scope and, and um, uh, you know, I don't know, so you know, that, yeah. Was it that you felt, you felt 
it sounds like he felt responsible for the the family of of people that were all working on this with you is that yeah i think so it's also too like just as a writer i go well if i can figure out a way to tell a story sort of and we can do it safely um and we can maybe and it started off very small where it's like what if we were to we put our own money into it and what if we design a thing where it's like because we don't know how long the pandemic is gonna gonna last so we we wanted to give all of our key crew members and stuff ownership in the movie so that if it sold, you know, uh, they were able to kind of, uh, you know, share in the profits of it and just kind of go make a movie as like a small family. Um, and that's kind of what the, the driving uh, sort of force was behind it is it just felt like a, it also felt like if we can learn how to do it safely, we could take those, sort of findings or guidelines and sort of share them with the rest of, of the community. Mm. I, I was, I was in, intrigued and, in, and uh, early on in the film, in the titles, honestly, when you included the entire titles, uh, you know, every person that worked on the titles, at least that's what it seemed like in, in these bricks of like a wall of credits um, what was your, can you talk to me about your decision to do that in the opening credits? Yeah. I mean, I think that ultimately the movie at its core is about acknowledging and giving credit to the people that make the work possible and make life possible. Um, and so, uh, it just, it felt, you know, just, I think we just tried to, to keep that sort of general idea of what the movie was about and carry it through in terms of how we structured it financially where, you know, there was no, no financier took 50% of anything. It was just divvied up and went out to people. And also too, just in how the credits are, are reflected and that these are the people who made this possible. Mm. I was really touched by that. I, I, I had long had an idea to do that before and you just beat me to the punch. Oh, well, I think it'd be great if it started <laughs> happening more often, you know, because yeah. I feel especially too with streaming, that window can close and you know because sometimes we'll be going oh i wonder who you know who's working on it and then the window closes and you're like searching for the remote quickly to open it back up oh know? yeah i mean the one thing I, the thing I, that bothers yeah. me the most about streaming is like skip titles right exactly that, like really i'm going to skip the titles and get to, yeah. <laughs> get to the story it's like you know and then there's functions on some of these streaming sites is like one and a half times speed two times speed yeah, I haven't tried that yet. Well, I'd, be cur- I'd be curious to watch a movie in twice the speed it was meant to be yes. watched. But. Um, okay, so this feels like there's so many things I want to talk to you about. Um, feels like such a personal movie, right? Would you agree? Um, to, a, to a certain extent, I think. I mean, the inception of it, just forgetting to thank a partner at a, at a premiere is, is, is something that, that happened to me. Um, I forgot to thank my wife at premiere of a movie I made, Assassination Nation. And, um, and, and she's, you know, we, we didn't get into a big blow up fight. We actually had a very calm conversation about it on the ride home and resolved everything before we walked in the front door. But it did make me think about what happens when you forget to acknowledge someone um, and I thought, you know, I thought it would be interesting if, especially if we're telling a relationship piece that couldn't, that couldn't sort of jump around. We had, it was one, essentially one location. Um, and it was almost in real time that, 
you know, you, you, it, I didn't want to get locked into having to always be talking about the relationship. So the idea of a filmmaker seemed to be an interesting entry point because at times they could be talking about the relationship or the film, which is also an interpretation of Marie's life and part of what she's upset about. So it gives it a number of angles to kind of move around and explore uh, how the characters feel about it. Um, but yeah, it's personal in the sense that these are, I think it's sort of this Socratic dialogue about, you know, um, about relationships and partnership and collaboration and ego and uh, film and, uh, and, and what really ultimately matters in, in life in a way. Mm. Um, um, it brings up this idea of the permission to tell other people's stories. And, and this is what I wanted to ask you about. You, know, you, 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 you make something that does talk about these personal ideas. In interviews, how do you feel about talking about personal things? It's always really hard. It's like, it's, it's hard to talk about personal stuff in interviews. And I have a little bit, you know, with, with euphoria, you know, uh, you know, cause I, you know, I've ha I had a history of, you know, with addiction and stuff. And so sometimes it's, it's like impossible to describe it, you know, um, without just being like, look, I was an addict and da, 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 da. but I, I always feel like, um, you know, it's like, I, like I'm a private person and I'm like, you know, and so it's hard to kind of, it's like, you know, you don't want to turn everything into this sort of analysis, uh, like an analysis session. And there's also a large part of, I mean, what's so wild and beautiful about filmmaking in general is you can take a small thing that happened to you, like forgetting to thank a partner and then imagine what could erupt out of it if you decided to handle it a different way, if you were a different person, if your partner was a different person. And so it can blossom into its own totally fictional thing, but it's still, it's, and then, and then there's always that question of, well, where do you begin? And the character starts and, mm. and it's always a difficult thing to, to answer because I think there's always traces of, there's traces of all of us in all of it. There's traces of, of me and everything. There's traces of our actors and everything, our producers, our, our crew members, you know, it bleeds into it. And I think that's what, that's what's beautiful is the fact that it is this kind of collaborative art form. That's a collision of all of these different identities and experiences and, um, and, and the life seeps into it. Mm -hmm. So you are actually trying to find this balance between taking the inspiration from real life or experience and then projecting it onto your imagination and letting it, uh, letting it take, take root. Totally. I mean, in the same way that like, if I decide to go to like, uh, if I were to decide to go to the mall and I'm walking around and suddenly I get this pang of anxiety about like a sniper on a rooftop across from the mall shooting me. It's like you go, and I were to then make a movie about some sort of mall hostage situation. You go, well, is it personal? And you go, 
well, kind of. I was at the mall and I got worried about it. And then my imagination just went crazy, you know? So this is where your imagination goes. You said you had an apocalyptic imagination. To a certain extent. I mean, I struggle with terrible anxiety in that regard. So I, it just, I'm, I'm optimistic about emotional things and then apocalyptic about uh, just the, the state of the world um, and the future. It's this odd balance. Cause I would never say that I'm, I don't think I'm cynical. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just scared. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. You, you were speaking a little, you know, the, the central conflict in this story is really about Marie who feels like Malcolm has represented her life and, and uh, taken her story. And there's a beautiful moment in it, in it where she says that she wouldn't have given all of that away if she would have known right. how, that, how that feels like, uh, what that feels like. And I just want to get into this idea of what it is to be, I mean, you have this story really about an artist and his muse, right? He's, he, they're, they're like addicted to this. You, you feel like Malcolm is drawing all of his energy artistically from her. And that's, I don't know, where do you... Where does that, where does someone have the right to tell a story that's not theirs? And, you know, you bring it up like euphoria, you talk about your drug addiction, you know, whatever challenges you had as a way, almost like you had to say that to be able to have permission to tell that story. So what gives someone permission to tell a story? Can you only tell the stories that you've experienced? I mean, I feel, I feel like that's become a really interesting central theme conflict that's unresolved in your film and in, in a good way where did where? I, I mean that's the that's the question is I'm not sure I'm not sure that you're you ever have either you never have permission or you have all the permission in the world right I think it's sort of one and the other in the sense that I think um storytelling in general is like a is sort of like this this leap you know, of, of faith in the sense that you believe that something, some story that comes out of, uh, that, that comes out of you is going to connect to somebody else, right? That someone's going to be sitting across the screen and go and be moved by it and touched by it and think about it. And, and, and in the same way that I think we all are by, by, by films. And so, um, but the idea, but where, um, but what gives us the right to have that faith is, uh, I, I'm not quite sure. Part of it's sort of, um, on, it's, it, you know, what gives us the right to believe in our ability to tell a story that connects to others. And then at the same time, you know, even with euphoria, and I think of things that had, you know, uh, there's large parts of it that had happened to, to myself. There's pieces I'd of other characters that have, you know, that have happened. There's also situations that I've been in when I was younger that um, were, you know, were where I was in the middle of a very scary, like, or strange experience. And, you know, you go, well, who's right is, is it to, to tell that story? It's, it, it may have been as much mine as, you know, any of the other people who were there. Um, and so I think, but what I think it, and I think it also gets to a certain feeling that I have at times about 
and it comes just from a, a personal point about just uh, filmmaking, which is when you don't always succeed in in telling, let's say you take a personal thing like addiction, right? And, uh, and euphoria. And there's certain aspects of euphoria that I, 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 go, I go back and I'm like, oh, I wish I could have done that a little bit better because then it might've been more understood or it was misinterpreted this way. And so there's a feeling that I've, I've kind of taken a part of myself and put it in something that I'm, that I'm not a hundred percent that I, that I may have failed at to a certain extent. So it feels like, um, so I, like, I very much relate to Marie in that regard. Um, and I think that's sort of what I was thinking about is what happens when your, your voice or your experience is interpreted, let's say, let's say I were to take that situation and just interpreted by somebody else. And now I can't examine it myself um, in the way that I may want to. I can't repeat myself in, in a way that I want to. You know, I think these are these kind of fundamental kind of questions um, uh, that, um, that are, that, and they're, they're kind of, they're moral questions. Uh, not just cinematic ones. You know, what is the, what's the moral oblig, like the idea of a muse, right? Artist and muse, like what's the morality of that situation? Um, and also too, just on a, a broader level, is she even a muse in that regard? Or is, is she actually the kind of, core gravitational pull and 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 it's her voice not his you know i i think of it in that way i think that there is a an interpretation of this film that's very much um uh sort of uh, that's a very valid one one i actually might agree with um that uh that if she were to walk out that door he would have he wouldn't, he would never make another film. You agree with that? I don't, I don't know. I, there's a part, there's a part of me. I, there's a part of me that wants to believe that. Yeah. I think, I, I don't know. It's like, I try, I, I, I also flip flop every. Well, every I think that's, I, think, about I that. think that's beautiful to be able to write characters that are open enough to that interpretation and, and to, as a writer to, to, to be able to offer some uh, opinions of the characters to the audience, you know, uh, or, you know, to define the characters in the audience. I find often sometimes in, in movies that people are so precisely defined and I, I don't know anyone in real life that's so precisely defined. I feel like we're all humans and we're all kind of messy and we're all contradictions and, there's multiple truths to any of our. Yeah, there's all... like, I always love characters who, who are wrong, like who mm. say things that are literally untrue. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always fascinated by them, you know? Um, and I just, I love like, and I love characters that sort of that like make bold, like a bold statement about something. And then there's just sort of one, one thread pulled out and they go, Oh yeah, no, you're right about uh, that. And just take it away. Cause it's such a human thing of like, you want to, you, you have an idea and you think, well, this is, this is the idea. And then suddenly someone 
just pokes a hole and you go, oh yeah, no, it's never mind. I don't believe that. Yes, you're you are challenging the likability clause of characters. And what what always drove me crazy in in Hollywood when I was first trying to get things going was. I would have people tell me they'd read my script and they would talk about how the characters weren't sympathetic enough, which I always took as such an, like who wants to be sympathetic? Empathetic, I can understand to empathize with someone, but people, they have to have their flaws and it's this likability clause. And I think your film, I mean, how do you feel about that? If if people say that you, uh, your characters can be dislike, unlikable. I mean, it's, it's a, no consequence in that in that like I don't take it as an actual note I go okay I mean it's one thing it's like if you're if someone is so uh, no I don't even give a there's like I like take HUD for instance Paul Newman's character in HUD is one of the most terrible human beings ever depicted on screen but he I'm fucking fascinated by him and I think that that's, I don't know why movies, I don't think movies should have to have to be about people that you like. I think you have to care about the world of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to, you have to understand them, but you don't have to like them. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let me ask you about, I'm going to jump the rails here. Go um, for it. The house. Did you know that that was the house you were going to shoot in while you were writing? No, no, I wrote it. Um, I, I mean, look, I, I, I kind of, Z and I were talking, Zendaya and I were talking. I, a couple of days later, I had talked to my producer, Kevin Turin. I talked to uh, my producer, Bernie, I, my wife, Ash, and just thinking about it. And then I just started writing. And I didn't even, it's one, I, one of the things I struggle with the most is scene direction when I'm writing, particularly when I don't know the locations, because I'll spend like four hours deciding if a character like looks left or looks right or where's the bathroom. And then I go, I don't have a location. It doesn't matter. So, so I try to be very spare with it. And this, I just, I just started writing dialogue and, and I had no idea what the location was going to look like. And I think in the end, we looked at probably about 1500 houses all throughout California. There was one in Los Angeles we loved, but we couldn't get a permit to shoot here and then finally, my production designer, Michael Gracely, was really brilliant. He said, why don't we just look at architects that we like and just go through the, the houses that they've built? And we found this architect, Jonathan Feldman, um, who uh, and just we went through the houses and then just knocked on the doors of the people that live there and asked if we could shoot. And when we saw that house, it was like game over, because I think that's always the thing you're you're looking for is depth and space and different angles and how to basically let it unfold over the course of the film because we don't want to you know it's a, this this movie would get old very quickly if if we don't allow it to kind of slowly reveal itself yes there's all the frames within the frames there's the glass i also found that what was going on between them was such a private conversation the, it's it's interesting to set that in a glass house yeah, I mean, that you want to, it's part of, you know, when we were shooting, Marcel, who's our cinematographer and kind of my closest collaborator, we we had this kind of whole plan about how we were going to shoot the movie, right? It was going to be all Dolly and 
sort of like a Preminger-esque thing with this kind of choreography, long takes and everything. We shot the whole first day. And I said to Marcel, and you can still see there's a couple of shots in there, like the push-ins on JD at the bar when he's drinking. And I said to Marcel, I was like, this is like a whiskey commercial. What are we doing? There's no fucking life in it, you know? And, and he was like, I completely agree. We've totally fucked up, you know, this thing. We're in the car. We're like beside ourselves day one. We go back. I said, let's sleep on it. We'll wake up. We wake up in the morning. We're like, okay, we're going to shoot the whole thing handheld, whole movie handheld. I go, I tell the actors, I say, we're throwing everything out. And we did like 30 takes of the first 10 pages the day before. John David says, you mean like everything, everything? I was like, everything. It's just not the right feeling. So we threw out all of the other stuff. And then we shot the whole day handheld. Now we had been in quarantine. So no one had really exercised. It was like standing on it. Marcel's got a thousand foot mag on his yeah. shoulder. By the end of the day, he's dripping in sweat. And I look at him and I kind of shake my head. He shakes his head at the same time. And we know that we're throwing out day two. But I didn't want to tell the actors. I was like, can't Did tell the actors. you keep a moment of that though in the in the in that first shot when you cut inside of uh, of Z yes. with the che- with the macaroni and cheese and tilts up to her? It's or, uh, or, no, it's, that can- it's the first shot inside. It's a handheld shot. No, the, well, no. the first shot is it's outside there. Oh yeah. Then that's- we cut to the hallway and it's this kind of slow push yeah. in. Yes. That's yes. that's what we had shot that first day. First day. And then so we decided let's just jump to this outside shot where, you know, she's there, which was a little connecting piece that we knew we wanted to do. And as we were shooting it, we had one key grip, God bless him, Jeff Kunkel on this shoot. And, you know, uh, and that was, that was it. So he's building the track. We go outside and suddenly we get a sense of the space in the world. And we see him, JD coming in, dancing, having the time of his life. You see that he's in one world. Marie comes in. You see that she's in a totally separate world. And now you understand that there's there's like a certain objectivity that we're looking at. And you also feel like we're eavesdropping on this private conversation in this house. The windows kind of made it. And it's also, it is somewhat theatrical, the design of the movie. Um, it's not a totally real argument in that way. And it felt like a stage. And I, and I said, I think this is how we shoot it, Marcel. And he's like, great, but the fucking sun's coming up in an hour. Wow. And so what do we do? So we literally... We're all out there just laying the dolly track, trying to get this thing going. I tell the I'm like, JD, just your pretend your legs are wheels. We'll follow you, jump in the window, keep going in circles. Marie, come out. And then we did three takes of it. And the third take is the one that's in the movie. Wow. Uh, there was literally like the the sun was coming up. We had like three feet left in the mag, and I'm screaming at Z, pick up the Mac of J's. You know, <laughs> picks it up, we rolled out. You know. Yes, the the one of the best quality, best parts about shooting film, I feel like, is that urgency that it creates. I feel like every time I load a mag of film, it's as if someone has lit the dynamite and we only are, are alive for this long. Once that, once that wick hits, we're, de- we're dead. It's over. We got to get it before it blows. It's, I, lo- I love that analogy. That's such a great way of thinking about it because it is, there is that pressure of, of that this is, this is finite. It's not endless. It is that we can't, we got to be, it provides that structure and a focus, I think, to everybody. Actors. So that it's talking, yeah. How do you think it affects actors? I think actors are acutely aware of the fact that it's on film and we have to reload and it's not going to be easy. It's not, you know, and so it's, uh, and just, you know, it's, we're not going to sit around and just 
around. It's if this, if we go off cut, start again, you know, it's, I think it helps structure performance. And also too, just this stock that we were using the double X stock from Kodak, which is, I think hasn't really been redone or touched since the fifties. Mm. It's like, the you know, we really have to choreograph it because we have to light it. I mean, you can't walk, if you walk off, off your mark a little bit, you're falling into total darkness. And so it gave, it really forced us to block it and choreograph it mm. in a way um, where we kind of knew where we were all going. Um, but, you know, but still, uh, you know, this little bit of life seeps in and mistakes happen. And those are the things you're grateful for. So how, do you rehearse or do you shoot the rehearsals? How do you do Cause you're, I, I was really impressed with the blocking I mean, to be able to string out a narrative in one location in one night, almost real time, is a, is a feat. You know, there's not a lot of filmmakers who have, who have done, who've made a successful real time movie like this is. So how, 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 how do you block that? Um, it's, well, you know, I mean, I, I mean, we would rehearse it first, just show up and it's, we just start kind of going through it, what feels right. You know, there's always the, there's what works emotionally right and then are you shooting you know, these rehearsals though no uh, no no we just sit there and it's we start reading the lines i mean we had no first ad no script supervisor no i mean it was just we had no schedule we just shot the thing in order and we'd show up every day and be like where did we leave off um because it was such a small crew and so we go oh yeah it's that kitchen scene where he's going around the bar because we <laughs> I mean, we were literally slating just like day four. That's how we would slate. Wow. Um, but, you know, so we try to figure out what works best for the kind of the emotion and also just a little bit of like what rooms haven't we used or what spaces haven't we used a bit. And so then we would do that. And then we would normally, we do that, you know, kind of refine it a little bit and then shoot it. And then once we shot it a couple of times, we would then go, oh, wait, there's something that's not looking right because it reality doesn't really matter once it's on film. Suddenly it's like you go, yeah, it might be really nice to just stand across from him and and have a conversation, but it's fucking, there's no energy and it's starting to feel stagnant. So then sometimes, like for instance, the whole, the review where Malcolm's outside screaming at the trees, you know, we shot that pretty we blocked it and then shot it for i would say 6 hours of 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 one night and towards the end of the night i just i felt like we were too close on him and we couldn't understand the absurdity of him getting this great review and yes, losing his mind yes yeah that's a, it's pure comedy and <laughs> and so i was like oh we need to be wider in this and so we knowing that we came back and reblocked everything the next day and just and we're able to knock it off really quickly because we had found the rhythm of the performance and stuff but we just needed to be further back from it so we could we could see how small he is mm. in this world raging yes. about the about the greatest review ever uh -huh. <laughs> <You know? laughs> okay on to reviews do you read your reviews I have not all of them, but I've read quite a quite a few reviews on this film. I I've tr I've shied away from it, but that's but I think I might read reviews in in a couple of weeks. I just need a little bit more 
more distance. I did the same thing with my last film. I was like, I'm not going to read any reviews. And then people like my producer started sending me, look what this person said. And he would send me the most like uh, scathing <laughs> review and like put ha 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 ha. <laughs> and so, yeah. I was like, dude, okay. Now, now how, how, how helpful is this to my heart and soul? But um, I thought it was interesting though. I don't want to give away the film, but you there's there's a sequence where they are. We can give away the film. It doesn't matter. Well, there's a conversation about uh, what the one of the characters wants the other character to say about them. What right. they want to be said about them. And there's also a big sequence of mirrors, and I thought that like as the character is talking about what they want to hear a lot of your film is about what I think we want other people to say about us. And in relationships, we can all have these moments and we can, you know, so, someone can respond to us in a way that's hurtful to us. And if only they would have said this, you know, it would have, it would have made me feel better, but then you got, you know, the critics saying things. And I don't know, can you talk about that, that idea of narcissism in the mirror and talking to yourself and how much, I mean, as an artist, you have to have that quality. You have to be able to believe in yourself. Right. But it's also a, it's also this really fine line of like, uh, if you believe in yourself too, too much, then you're an insane person and you're living in a completely fictional world, which is, I think, kind of at the heart of what the movie is about. And from, and from what I understand, is uh, there's been some <laughs> from what I understand about certain reviews of, uh, of the piece is that they're they're taking it as a as um as me as as sort of an endorsement of the ego of the artist as uh, as opposed to what I I think it actually is which is a complete evisceration of the ego of the artist mm. um you know uh which, which I thought would be evident in the fact that he's not railing against a bad review. He's railing against a great review. Yes. And, and, and what it exposes about him is his total insecurity uh, and narcissism as an artist. And this feeling of wanting, of wanting an art form film to be, understood 1000% exactly how you intend it as, as the maker of it by everyone who watches it. And which is, you know, which is something that I think we all, we all want to be understood, but there's a fine line between, but, but we also all have our own interpretations of movies and things we like. And so it's this funny duality and and I thought that it was a great way to kind of um, to to sort of explore the the fight and the struggle and the kind of and I think what happens to a lot of um, people who get very sort of successful in as filmmakers or even actors, which is you you're suddenly surrounding yourself, and it's something that Marie says to him later. If you steamroll everyone in your midst you're gonna end up creating a fictional reality. And which in my mind is the death of any kind of artistic 
inspiration because then you have nothing to draw on but your own your own kind of inflated sense of yourself i think i think um i think that's kind of what it's it's about and but what's been interesting i guess is the is not just the mirrors between the the characters and what they're feeling but also the mirrors in the reaction to the movie as you know it's like as um there's been like because that scene has garnered a uh a, a lot of talk and to a certain extent a lot of controversy right and you know people speculating well sam must be talking about a real person and a real thing you're going no i'm i'm but it's interesting how everyone is sort of centering themselves into the narrative of it and seeing themselves or feeling acknowledged and feeling like, Oh, this is a part of, of my, this is, this is addressed to me. This is, you know, and which I think is the kind of the, uh, the kind of fascinating part of just all films in general Mm. is how, is how we see ourselves reflected. Mm. Um, But what's happened specifically with this one, because it's about a filmmaker because I also happen to be a filmmaker. Mm. Um, although I would say that, I, I mean, I share as much in common with both characters. Um, uh, um, and, and maybe my, my heart lies with, with Marie, who I think by the end of the movie renders this very loud kind of chaotic, emotional, uh, narcissistic character, completely speechless for 20 minutes um, <laughs> with just a grounded, this is what, I mean, it's basically saying her, the critics, one issue with you as a filmmaker is my issue with you as a human being and a partner. And this is what life is about. This is what I want. This is what you're missing. And this is ultimately, if you can't hear critique, if you can't listen to it, you're not just going to grow as an artist, but, uh, but you're not going to grow as a human being. Beautiful. And I think that's kind of what the movie's about. Beautiful, man. It takes, uh, yeah, well said. Well said. Okay, let me ask you just this filmmaker filmmaker question what are the other movies or like a fan i should say a fan like a audience member question what are the other movies that exist in this kind of world of because i said earlier that not many filmmakers have achieved this are there other films that you look to for inspiration yeah i mean look i don't want to like fan out but i think you know you made one of them uh that had an enormous impression on me um You know, Blue Valentine is is incredible, incredible fucking feat, and just uh, in really, really extraordinary work. Um, and then I think also too, like it, maybe even movies that don't—they're sort of. I also love. I just love movies about power imbalance, mm-hmm. and um, I think Joseph Losey's The Servant is one of my favorite examples of that. Um, it's such an odd kind of fascinating push and pull between characters um scenes from marriage obviously is a movie that made a really big impact on me or a series that made a big impact um and um uh you know it's funny because there's been some um 
you know, it, it you know, I, like I've heard some sort of things about um, saying like, you know, that it's, it's sort of inspired in, in some way by sort of Cassavetes, but I never, it's, it, Cassavetes was in a really honest and odd way, someone who never really entered my mind when thinking about it because his, his films are so, there's so much life in them, you know, and they're, there's, there's so much about the kind of unpredictability of filmmaking and the merging of things that it, it was, um, uh, and this is kind of scripted in a, in a very sort of theatrical way, you know, it's sort of, I was thinking about like Tennessee Williams. I don't know. There's also like, for some reason it just popped into my head and it's a movie that I've thought a lot about room at the top, uh, with Simone senior is a really interesting movie. Um, uh, but you know, just it's, um, you know, it has that kind of, it's, it is sort of a, it's a play in, in some regards, at least in terms of the dialogue, it's this, like, I never thought of it sort of in a three act structure. Mm-hmm. I thought of it as kind of like, uh, I was just trying to dig the hole, dig characters into a hole every day that I wrote, mm-hmm. like, what's the worst shit that they can say and what can they never come back from? Yes. And then how can I dig them out of the hole the next day? And that's just how I wrote the whole piece, you know? apocalyptic yeah exactly <laughs> hey let me ask you one thing too right we're running out of time here but uh television so how do you think because i know when i did my television show i was so excited to be able to do a 20 minute scene yeah and, and i couldn't wait to just do and i wrote i overwrote the the scene to 21 pages and i was like i'm gonna shoot a 21 page scene because in a movie you really don't have the real estate for that. I mean, you can, you, you know, you can, I mean, traditionally in a movie, you, you, right. It's so much a, a, a part of it, but you, you were making movies. Then you went to TV where you have more kind of this different space, different, different cadence can have a different cadence, even though your TV show is very cinematic. How did that change? How did your work on TV change you as a, movie maker and or or are they the same thing no i think it's an interesting it's a really interesting question i think before i did television kind of every like i directed two movies and they were very much like i need to say everything i felt like i had to say everything and which i think is not is is not always a good thing you know and um, and some of the things I get sort of self-critical about when when looking back at certain things. And I think what happened with television is I sort of approached it from the standpoint of, OK, I've got this pilot where you sort of set up the world. But then there's these other seven episodes. And I kind of looked at them as sort of individual exercises. And, you know, and so I thought, OK, like, how do we take this sort of crazy expressionistic I don't know, show about, you know, these teenagers and addiction and stuff like that. And like, I don't know, wrap it in the kind of like a, like a nineties, like Fincher-esque thriller. And then, you know, I would try that. And then episode three comes along and I'm like, oh, okay. So how can I take like, let's play with tone. How can I write an episode that's just like a really deeply hilarious and then also completely tragic and just mush them up together and see like, what can, what can a show hold in an hour? And I would sort of approach it from these sort of exercises in a way of like, 
how can we just tell a story with almost no dialogue and just montage? And, and I would kind of, and so it, it gave me a sort of a flexibility that, um, and, a, and a room to explore. I think in the same way that you're saying like, oh, here's just like a 20 page, like I've never been able to just sit in a conversation and deal with the ebbs and flows and arcs of it, which is like a, a fascinating thing. I just recently, I was like, what if during COVID, like what if we just do an episode of Euphoria that just takes place at a diner? It's just two people talking. And, and I think like that's the beautiful part about TV and something that really excites me is films always... They, they always have to be sort of on train tracks, you know, and headed somewhere. And you don't have the room or the freedom to kind of, I don't know, explore the things that you want to, or take the digressions that you want to. Like you may suddenly go, I really like this character and this thing. Let's just go into it for a little bit and see what happens. And, and the audience knows we'll get back to all the other stuff they care about. You know, it's... um in some ways it's, it, you're able to be more experimental, mm. um, which I, I kind of really appreciate. And then there's, and then obviously there's other complications and, you know, just, a, it's just such a hard, long process, you know, and, and it's, and it's tired. You, you directed all, all, you, all, all the episodes, right? I mean, yeah. it's, fucking, I mean, it runs you down, you know? Yeah. Um, I never had a better time in my life though. I mean, it felt Me like yeah. it felt like a 116 day vacation, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel the same way about being on set where it's just like yeah. it's it's the only time in my life where I have no anxiety. Yeah. Like and I'm just and it's just so much fun. And I just and I love just the collaborative aspect of being on set and figuring things out. But um, but it's like, you know, it's you get so wrapped up in, in the world and you get to play and experiment with these things. But it's, it's like when I remember finishing season one and I tried to take like a two week vacation and I just couldn't focus on, on I, I was just so discombobulated. And then it was like, all right, right. Season two. And there was just a, just an emptiness and uh, that I had, and it was hard to kind of imagine going back into it Um in that way. But I really, I really loved working in TV and I loved working with HBO. Um, yeah. It was just, it was so freeing and they're, and they're kind of encouraging and wonderful in that regard. Um, so I, I'm, I'm really grateful for it because it's this kind of fun, I don't know, sandbox in a way. Yeah. Did, yeah, you, did right. you feel the same way? I felt the same way. I felt like it could, uh, I feel like every time I make a movie, my ambition almost gets the best of me in a movie. And I feel like, like you say on the, you, the train is going and there's so much I want to put in a movie and what ends up happening, what, what's end up, what's has ended up happening is that I would start to just like have to fill up so many, you know, I'd, I, when I was doing light between oceans, I had like my third act had something like 45 scenes. Right. right. So if, if you're, you know, but the third act can be maybe 30 minutes. And so that means each one of those scenes has to be less than a minute, has to be like 45 seconds. And so you're no longer servicing character, you're only servicing plot in your editing. And so no matter right. what you came up with on set, you can't have, uh, you know, an extended third act in a movie because you got to get to the end. And yeah, it's a race. Yeah, it's a race. And so I felt like I was... 
I'm interested to go back to a movie after having done television and kind of released some of that, um, that, 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 uh, that searching, you know, that kind of just curiosity. I feel like TV is really good for the curiosity to just go find these different uh, tributaries and see where they lead you, you know? Totally. I always think about what, what's interesting also too about what you're saying is I think that there's that exploration or the freedom that you feel as a filmmaker working in television, I think also speaks to kind of culturally why we're fascinated with television. Like when you, when people are talking about characters that they love, they're almost never characters from films anymore. You know what I mean? Like they're not, no one's talking about the, the Travis Bickles. We don't have them in film as much. The, you know, or or in American Psycho, or any just anything from the last, you know, uh, throughout all of cinema. There's just those characters. They were talking. It's like the Tony Sopranos, the Walter Whites. The th- it's like all of the kind of the great characters migrated from film to TV, and I think it's because there's a there's sort of a freedom there that film. It, that audiences, I don't know if it's the, if it's filmmakers or it's also the audience's expectations have changed a little bit, that it's become this, this sort of bigger spectacle or this thrill ride. Is that, mm-hmm. I don't know. Is that like- you, you get to live with the characters. They become like your family members, especially on a show like HBO. We both had the experience of HBO. I was really fascinated that it was, by, or, or intrigued by the fact that the episodes would come out once a week and people would 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 come back to visit these characters in their lives like they would go to their uh, parents house for dinner for you know spaghetti and meatballs on a sunday and so you right. go spend time with this family again and then you go about your life and you go b- back to this house every sunday and if you know the one question i have about tv and film though is like is tv expendable you know do people i think with euphoria they do i think people watch that over and over again but like do, you know, in Bergman, for sure, Fanny and Alexander, you know, you, you go back and watch yeah. that. But, uh, but d- d- does TV, like films, I've watched, you brought up Travis Bickle. You know, I've watched that movie a hundred, whatever, maybe 40 times. Yeah. You know, I go back and watch it. I can't watch The Wire 40 times because it's 60 hours. Yeah, that, that may be true. Yeah, I think you're you're probably right about that, but I also think at the same time how many films recently or in the last, you know, 15 years or something do you go do you go back and you you watch sort of obsessively in that way? Like I I do think that there's also something that's happened in film where film has also felt a little bit more expendable, but I think that that's all I think that that's all sort of film and television has felt a little bit more disposable because it's we ha- we do live in a bit of a kind of, you know, uh, it's almost like the, it's like they want it's like a, what what's next what what else you got here exactly. you know there's like a, like it's like it's made in sweatshops or something skip the titles, you know, like just, yeah skip the titles it comes down the conveyor belt boom 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 what do you think ah it's okay moving no. on you know yes. it's like you know I think that there's there's a lot of that there's not the there's I think it's hard to to create those just it's it, there's so much out there too there's like thousands of people are always telling me like what do you mean you haven't seen that movie or that show i go i, I know it's just i don't i haven't had the time yet you know i know it's a commitment yeah 
It's over. And there's also a lot of, I think, shows that get really good once you're, you get invested in it. It's like after a certain number of hours, which I think speaks to maybe, um, or maybe why all the great characters have migrated to television. I think just to wrap it back around is it's the likability factor, right? Mm -hmm. Once you're, you've spent enough time, you've spent three hours, even if they were unlikable for the first three hours, you now have a level of intimacy that you forgive their unlikability. Mm -hmm. You go, all right, I'm with, I'm with this person, you know? Yes, and they can change and they can grow and they can become new. You know, you, your, 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 your empathy starts to grow, can grow for them over time as you understand, yeah. as you understand them more. Totally. All right. I'm man. I got to First off, it's, it's awesome to meet you. I, uh, I appreciate your, the risk you take in your art and um, congratulations on this film. It's been a real pleasure and I can't wait. And I think I'll speak for all the audience. Can't wait to see what you do next. Well, thank you so much. It was, it was just, it was lovely to, to talk to you. I'm, I, as I've told you before, but I'll <laughs> tell you again, I'm, a, I'm in awe of your work. And I, I just, uh, this was just a, a real honor to talk to you. So thank you. And, and thank you to the DGA for, for, having, for having us. Yes. Yes, we'll we'll go we'll go uh, meet each other when this COVID is all done. Okay, love that. your apocalyptic yeah. thinking. One last thing: How much longer do we have in COVID? Oh, don't don't ask me. I don't want to be up. My I don't want my anxieties on record. Okay. Okay. I don't. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Stay safe. Hey, you too, brother. Thank you. Take Thank care. You. Thank Congrats. you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q and A. If you'd like to hear more, The Director's Cut is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Stay tuned in the coming weeks as we bring you discussions of films from Miranda July, David Fincher, and Lee Daniels. And be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally. <laughs>